0: Uh, Let's pray together as we uh, come to this passage. Lord, in this difficult time in our lives and in the time of our country, we come to you tonight to your word for encouragement and wisdom. And we ask that you would feed us from it, that we might walk in your light by your ways. So refresh us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These are strange times, aren't they? Hard times, perhaps, I suspect, the most difficult time uh, I've known in my life. This wretched virus has affected uh, the health of many, many people. Many tens of thousands in our country have got ill. Uh, A good number, many thousands have died. But it isn't just the physical health of people that have been impacted, it's their financial health, their mental health, And no doubt spiritual health as well. But as I said at our annual parochial church meetings, we are not the first generation to face difficult times. This church has been on this spot for some 900 years. People worshipping here over that time have gone through uh, floods and droughts, famines, wars, civil wars, times of persecution, times of plague, far more deadly than the one we face right now. But whilst we may not stack up in terms of the difficulty that other uh, generations have faced, these are our hard times. We can only deal with what's in front of us. And this is our struggle. So what are we to make of it? How should we respond to them? Well, the whole uh, book of Hebrews is a letter written to Christians of a Jewish background who were facing increased persecution from the state, and from uh, their fellow Jews for their decision to follow Jesus. Now, we face a very different set of circumstances, but there are the same kind of lessons to learn, and there are many words of strength and encouragement for us. In a minute, we'll look at that first heading, uh, that this is not a time for self-pity, because we are, as we'll see, we are not the first generation to struggle. Neither is it a time for complacency, particularly in our spiritual lives, we are to keep battling against sin. Neither is there any room for doubt. We have someone on whom to fix our gaze. Neither is there a reason to fear that God has deserted us. Instead, we are to endure hardship as discipline. And neither is this a season for selfishness. We'll finish with this one, because we have a responsibility to one another. But coming back to that first heading, then, this is no place for self pity. We are not the first to struggle. I had uh, a, a meal with my godson last week and I asked him uh, how his uh, classmates and friends felt about life right now. And he said, they're all miserable. Everyone thinks the world is going to hell in a handcart. That wasn't his phrase. I'm kind of paraphrasing for him. But everyone thinks the world is getting worse and worse and worse. They don't see much hope for the future. And it's very easy sometimes, when, particularly when we're going through difficult times, to think that there has never been a time as bad as this. But of course, that's not true. In fact, a, when we take a wider view on many uh, points, the world is so much better now than it used to be. Uh, recently, uh, a survey was was done of people in, in lots of different countries fifty eight percent of them agreed with uh, with my godson 's friends that actually the world was either getting worse or staying the same. People in America were far more pessimistic, and this was before Donald Trump. Uh, 65% of them thought the world was getting worse. Only 6% thought it was getting better. However, all the global, or many global trends would give us a different point of view. The global absolute poverty rate has fallen from 42% in 1981 to 8.6% today. Far less people in abject poverty. Despite the fact that we're told that the world is stripping itself of trees, apparently satellite data shows that the forest area has been expanding year on year since 1982. Natural resources are ever cheaper, more abundant. And since 1900, average life expectancy around the world has more than doubled. It's now at 72 years. Global average. Isn't that astonishing? As I said, it's hard to see that in times like this. The recipients of this letter had their own severe struggles that they were going through as well. And then the writer of Hebrews gives them in chapter 11 of this book, a whole list of people who have gone through far worse times than they're going through. You know chapter 11, it's like the hall of fame of Old Testament heroes. All the great heroes of faith are there. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, look what all these people went through. And they stayed true. They kept going to the end. You've got to do the same. Now, once again, those listed in Hebrews 11 are largely mentioned because they endured great persecution or hardship because of their faith. But think through the the times of their lives. Droughts, famines, floods, attacks, enemy occupation. Exile, brutal dictatorships, war, civil war, plagues, epidemics. We think we've got it hard. We need to look back and take a bigger, wider view. We live in a pandemic. Yes, we do. Our freedoms are about to be severely restricted for the next four weeks. But we live in comfortable homes. There is no shortage of food or warmth. However it is streamed, you'll be able to watch the church service on Sunday. Uh, Even if you live on your own, you can get in touch with people through through the internet and emails and telephone. We get ill, we've got an excellent hospital a mile down the road. All the doctors and nurses have excellent treatments. They'll all be wearing the proper PPE and apparently there are vaccines very soon coming our way. Our forefathers in the faith endured far, far worse. This is no time for self-pity. What should be the right attitude for us as believers? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us that we should give thanks in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. We are to remember the Lord's blessings. And if we start to get discouraged, we're to lift up our eyes and look at that great cloud of witnesses who have run the race before us and remind ourselves that they finished the race through tougher times than us. And we can keep going too. This is no time for self-pity. We are not the first to struggle. Secondly, this is no time for complacency. We are to keep battling with sin. Those times when we are tired and weary beset by trials and tests the hardships that life throws at us from time to time it's easy to forget that actually the christian life is often like that and that the goal of the christian life isn't ease and comfort but it is increased holiness that's god's purpose for us in romans paul writes uh, that we have uh, now we are in christ we have died to sin We're not to live in that way any longer. We can lose sight of that when times get hard. But if we do, then the battle for holiness, our efforts in that regard to grow more like Jesus can wane and we can start to slip backwards. Those times of weariness and testing, actually, those are the times when we can be most vulnerable to giving up or falling into sin of different kinds. And I suspect in a time of pandemic like this, there are certain sins that maybe we wouldn't necessarily be tempted by or focusing on uh, normally, but they start to come to the fore because of the circumstances we live in. Selfishness is one. Time is hard. What do we need to do? Well, we need to look after ourselves first. Too much of a struggle to think of anyone else. So I'm going down to the supermarket and I'm hoiding toilet roll. Because I need to make sure I've got plenty. Other people might be in need, but actually I'm still waiting for someone to call me. We're waiting for help from others, but we don't offer a hand to other people. We're looking after number one. It's too much of a struggle, selfishness. Times like this can push us down that route. What about materialism? Well, we're going to be locked in our homes just about for the next four weeks. The weather's not great, we're not going to be going for those hour long walks every day. Well, in those times, well, creature comforts matter most. Or maybe they start to. We spend our time sprucing up the home, tidying up the garden, doing things that we've been putting off for such a long, long time while neglecting the state of our souls focusing on the material things of life now. Is that a challenge to us? Is that a temptation? What about fear? We're commanded not to fear in the Bible. We're commanded to trust God, the one in whose hands we rest, who knows the number of hairs on our head, who sees even a single sparrow fall. Now, common sense is right and proper. Being careful is wise but if we go too far and let fear and anxiety take over and dominate, then actually it's revealing in us a lack of trust in God's love and power. And that's the temptation to give in to fear. And what about anger? Anger at God for allowing this pandemic. Anger at the government for having seemingly no clue about how to get us through it. Anger at other people. If only other people would keep the rules. We would be all right. Well, it's hard to pray for people when you're angry. It's hard to pray when they're angry with God. To make it through times of difficulty, we need to be spiritually strong. And that means we need to be pursuing the things of God and make sure that our spiritual life is being cared for. And if we fail to win this battle against sin, well, whilst we might come through the pandemic... Unscathed, actually, the state of our soul would be far worse. There's no time for complacency. Even in the midst of a crisis, we need to keep battling against sin. Thirdly, there is no room for doubt. We have someone on whom to fix our gaze. Uh, the story of Eric Liddell is incredibly inspiring, not just his uh, athletic successes, but his time as a missionary, the way he lived in a concentration camp uh, in, uh, in Japan. If you get a chance to read uh, his, the latest biography on him, I do recommend it. But you know the story, he was at the time uh, the, uh, the world uh, leader in 100 metres, he yeah, had the fastest times, he was, he was a shoo-in for the gold medal at the Paris Olympics. But then he found out that his heat would be on a Sunday. And as a devout Christian, he would not run on a Sunday. Well, he entered himself in the 400 metres and no one gave him a chance. So I went out for a run earlier today. I did about four kilometres at an incredibly slow pace. And even in my prime, which is a long time ago, I was not a sprinter. Uh, I suppose probably I could sprint now at a full pace for about, I don't know, 20 metres before needing some kind of oxygen treatment. But 20 metres is one thing. 100 metres, a full pelt is something. But to move from 100 metres to 400 metres is a completely different race. And none of the experts thought Eric Little had any chance at all. They said, he's used to running flat out and collapsing after 100 metres. He's never going to be able to last. He's got to pace himself through it. He will burn out too fast and down the home straight, he will just give up. He'll have run out of energy. And then they heard that he was going to be in the outside lane. Well, he wouldn't have anyone standing in front, running in front of him so he could pace himself against. And they said, well, that's it. He's got no chance at all. But what little did have was a clear idea where the finishing line was. He kept his eyes straight ahead. And as he came down that home straight, he knew where he was heading. He kept his eye on the prize. We have a finishing line ahead too as well. And whilst we might think that it is heaven or eternal life, actually, our eyes should be on Jesus. Not a thing, not a time, but a person. The Saviour. Keeping our eyes on Jesus is the antidote to self-pity and complacency. You see, when we think of our own struggles or those of other Christians, uh, maybe we can uh, start to think, actually, we've done okay. We're, we're, we're keeping up. But actually, we look at the example of Jesus who endured far more. And we're inspired even more to keep going. we to consider the cross we may think of the joy of other Christians. We may long for it. But actually, we look at Jesus and we see that he has far more joy. Far more joy because having endured the cross, he is exalted to the right hand of the Father. And he sees people coming to know the Father through faith in him. That is his joy. And we're part of it. Jesus has struggled more, he has more joy. And of course, for us personally, Jesus is the pioneer, the originator of our faith. He is the one who has sought us and saved us and bought us for God. We're to keep our eyes on Him. And He is the perfecter of our faith, the one who will bring it to completion. He will not let us go, He will hold us fast. And as Paul writes in the book of Philippians, God will complete what he started. You may look at yourself tonight and say, there's an awful lot of work to do in me. God will complete it. Whether in this life or when we see him face to face, the work that he has begun in you, he will bring to completion. Our best hope in hard times, at all times, is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's not give in to doubt. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Fourthly, we have no reason to fear that God has abandoned us. We should endure hardships as discipline. Many of the psalmists asked that question, didn't they? God, where are you? Have you deserted me? Where are you? What are you doing? Maybe you feel like that at the moment. Or you've gone through times like that in the past. But that very act of the psalmists writing their songs and making their prayers to God, asking him that question, was proof, actually, that their faith in God remained, however challenged or threatened it was. Suffering and hardship can make us ask those kinds of questions. Lord, where are you? What are you doing? I don't understand. But if fears about God deserting us, Giving up on us, start to come. Well, the antidote there isn't to listen to those questions and doubts and fears, but it is to talk to ourselves. Not to listen to ourselves, but to talk to ourselves. To remind ourselves of God's great promises. That Jesus said he will never leave us or forsake us. That once we have come to him, no one will snatch us out of his hands. God will never give us up. We're not to fear on that uh, regard. But there is another reason that the writer of Hebrews uh, brings out in this passage. We're not to fear hardship because God is at work through it. Verses 4 to 11 are all about the Lord's discipline. And I guess there are two kinds of discipline, aren't there? There's the kind of discipline you get when you've been naughty and your parent takes you to one side and either gives you a spank Uh, or tells you off, or sticks you on the step, or whatever, then there is discipline. So you know that you have strayed and to teach you the lesson, so you won't do it again. But there's also the kind of discipline that a gardener uses when they prune their roses, or their bushes, or their vines, to make them grow strong and healthy. You cut things back, sometimes quite viciously, it seems to me. But if you do that, actually the plant grows more. It's the same kind of training and and discipline as a coach will use on a promising young athlete. Making them work hard and train harder and keep going and keep going until they're about to drop. The athlete at the time may be thinking, I really don't want to do this anymore. But it's good for them. That discipline will drive them to achieve far more. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't despise the Lord's discipline. When you're going through difficult times, look at them as a sign of his love. God's plan for you is that you would be uh, growing in holiness. That your character would be shaped more into the likeness of Jesus. As verse 11 puts it, that your character being changed would produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. I still get gloomy about these days and think that... Oh, Has has God gone? Has he just given up and walked away? No. Let's think about these times as times of discipline. Let's remember that the Lord is at work through them. And maybe consider what he might be trying to teach us. What he might be trying to teach the church through these times God's love hasn't changed his power isn't is undiminished and no matter how hard the times or the circumstances God is still holding on to us and he is at work finally this is no season for selfishness we have a responsibility for one another when times get difficult, maybe you, you're someone who just likes to pull up the drawbridge and close the door and put on a good movie and you know, cuddle up on the couch. And that's all right for a moment or two. But you can't do that for four weeks, <laughs> let alone the nine months that we've had this year. And actually, as Christians, that's incredibly selfish because we are brothers and sisters. We have a responsibility to one another and for one another. At the end of this passage, the, the writer uh, talks about the need to strengthen our feeble arms and weak knees. Their images are being weighed down with worry and anxiety. And he says you need to strengthen them. Why? So that you can strengthen those who are weaker still. Those who are the lame. In the, the end of verse 13. We we're to strengthen ourselves so we can then then. Be a strengthener for others and help others on the way. I wonder if we're doing that. In your telephone conversations, bumping into people as you're you're out walking, sending emails just to keep in touch. Are we encouraging one another to stay strong in our faith, to keep trusting in the Lord, to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, to consider about what God is doing through these times, that we consider them as discipline, Are we doing that? Or does our speech and our actions actually spread worry? (laughs) Well, it is a time for us who have some strength to strengthen ourselves more so that we can in turn strengthen others. The Lord of the Rings is one of my favourite books and, uh, and trilogies in terms of movies. And if you've seen... The book, or seen the film, or read the book, you'll know that there's a a, a passage in there where where Frodo is uh, worried about the state of the times and he's going, Oh, Gandalf, I wish this task, this time hadn't come to me. And Gandalf just says, Frodo, it's not for us to decide the times we're given, it's for us to decide what we do with the times that have come to us. We don't get to choose our times. We do get to choose and to decide how we deal with them. Like you, I wish these times were different. We've spent goodness knows how many hundred thousands of pounds sorting this building out, ready for a grand opening with a big plan of events throughout the year, uh, to reach out with the good news of Jesus to the parish and the town and beyond. And it hasn't worked out. Maybe you had other plans. For this year. I've had dozens of couples this year that was planned to get married that have had to put those things off. Celebrations of people's lives put off because of these times. We wish they hadn't come to us. But we have a choice about how we deal with them. It's not a place for self-pity. We're not the first to struggle. Let's keep our eyes on that cloud of witnesses and remember that others... Brought this road before us it's not a time for complacency we're to keep battling with sin knowing that increased holiness is what the Lord would have for us there's no room for doubt for changing our minds we've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus there's no reason to fear that the Lord has given up on us we're to endure hardship as discipline for the Lord is at work and this is not a season for selfishness. In fact, quite the opposite. We have a responsibility to one another. So that we strengthen our weak knees so that we can strengthen others. And maybe in a year's time or ten years' time, or maybe when we're in glory, we'll be able to look back and see exactly what the Lord was accomplishing through these times. In the meantime, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith.